truth, perspective, and growth. This is the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. All wrong. God wants his church to be activated. God wants his children to be activated. God wants his sons and daughters to carry the authority that he has given them and go out and bring light into the darkness. We are meant to go out into the world and bring the light of God's presence and the power of the good news. Well, thanks for tuning in. This is the Discipleship Podcast, and I'm Michael Carroll, and I'm so thankful and glad that you've got a chance to tune in today. If for some reason this is your first time listening to my show, you might want to go back and and start at episode one because we are wrapping up the fourth and final episode of the Jesus series, and every episode builds off of each other. So if for some reason you're just checking me out, you're discovering the show, uh, just go back in my feed, start with episode one, and kind of let these episodes build off of each other because this is the fourth and final one. We're kind of wrapping it all up. And for those of you who've been tuning in, who've been following me, uh, before we get into, I just want to ask something of you guys. If God's word's really been speaking to you and you feel like um, this podcast has been helpful for you, I want to ask you a couple things. One, I want to ask you to consider sharing this with somebody. Every single one of us has someone in our life who is either struggling in their relationship with God, struggling to understand the Bible, or maybe they don't even know God at all. But uh, either way, we have, we're carriers of hope, we're carriers of the gospel message, and it's our job, it's our duty, it's our obligation to spread that hope, to reach out and be a light to those around us. So I just wanted you to consider maybe sharing this with your friends. Also, if you feel like this has been helpful for you, please, please rate and review it. Um, when whenever you guys do that, which I see a, a bunch of you guys have, and I'm grateful for that. But whenever you guys rate and review the show, it helps the podcast. It helps this show get a little bit more exposure. So um, that's my thing. That's what I want to kind of just ask of you guys. Um, let's just let if you want to support me in any way, you don't have to listen. It's it's okay. You can keep tuning in, and it's all good. But if you want to support, that's the greatest way you can is just sharing it, rating and reviewing it, helping God's word get out there. So thank. you so much. Uh, Well, like I said, this is the fourth and final episode of the Jesus series. And it's been so much fun going deeper into the scripture. I've actually been enjoying it because it's been pushing me in my own studies. But I've just, it's it's been a great journey just unpacking what God's word shows us about Jesus. And ultimately, how does that affect us today? Last week, we talked about Jesus at the cross and what really happened. We broke down the Greek and Hebrew words that were used for atonement, and hopefully we corrected some perceptions on the atonement of Jesus and what it's really all about. Many of us uh, may have felt scared or unsure about fully living in God's presence because we remember our past lifestyles, we remember our past decisions, and we're afraid to really fully come vulnerable uh, into the presence of God. But the atonement of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, not only wipes away the power of sin in our own life, but it's actually purifying the space, which is our bodies, for the presence of God to unite with earth. This heaven and earth connection that we read about in Genesis 1 and 2 is reunited in your body because of the blood of Jesus. And that's what the atonement is all about. So it's because of Jesus and a shed blood that we are now a pure and holy space for God's presence to dwell. And we don't have to hold the weight and burden of our past, but we can walk freely united with the presence of God. 
this mission for God to restore heaven to earth is driven purely through love. We don't have to come timid. We don't have to come afraid. But God loved us. And by remembering this in our own life, we should become quick to repent, quick to forgive, quick to call upon our Father and desire His presence to cleanse us and lead us throughout our life. But when we look at our own individual lives, And we realize what a miracle it truly is to be reunited with our Father in heaven, completely restored and redeemed people. We should not just sit down and breathe a sigh of relief and say, well, what a life this has been. Now I'll just try to stay away from that dark, scary world out there that I've been rescued from. And uh, I'll just wait for Jesus to come and take me away. No, it's important as true humans, true children of God, that we realize part of our redemption is attached to our roles and purposes being reinstated once again as well. We, we read a couple episodes back that Genesis 1.27 tells us that we are imagers of God. We are God's royal priest designed to reflect his image, his love and wise justice into this world. While at the same time, we gather the worship of his good creation and we usher it back up to him. This is the heavenly order earth was designed for in order to operate in. This balance of imaging God and stewarding this world can only properly function as humans are worshiping the true God wholeheartedly. In fact, understanding that, we can trace the downfall of this world to the humans failing at their jobs, failing to worship God. We talked last week that sin is not merely bad decisions, but it's actually rooted uh, into what is called idolatry. Humans, rather than worshiping the creator God, worshiped and served the creation itself. We handed over our powers as stewards of this world to idols that would now possess power they weren't meant to have. And they began to rule us, controlling us, and ultimately destroying our ability to properly reflect God and steward this planet. As humans failed to worship God, they failed to stay plugged into their life source and they would become less and less human. Or one could say less and less like God. Paul talks about this dynamic in in, in 2 Corinthians and tells us that the opposite happened at the resurrection. That because of the blood of Jesus, we can now dwell and live in God's presence, or rather, He can now dwell amongst us. And now we can worship Him in spirit and in truth. And as we worship Him, we're gazing into His amazing glory and goodness, and we gradually become more and more like Him as we worship Him and reflect His image into this world. Paul writes it like this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, 2 Corinthians. So we can see that it's our role to worship God. We were designed to worship. We were meant to live in his presence, and it's as we worship God that we are formed into the humble, meek, loving, and wise stewards of this world. We rule with his wisdom and not our own. So back to the cross. When someone asks, okay, well, why did you get saved? What did Jesus really accomplish at the cross? Yes, you are forgiven for your sins, but it's not simply so that you can get into heaven. That's a very narrow and unproductive way to look at this whole thing. You were saved. Yes, you were forgiven of your sins, however you want to put that. 
but so you were you were saved so that you can now properly worship God, unhindered by the power of sin and idols that once ruled and controlled your hearts. Now that you have been rescued from this power, and notice that the the theme of Exodus here, you've been rescued from the bondage, you've been rescued from that Pharaoh, you've been rescued from that power of sin, you are now led by the Spirit of God, and He leads you into the presence of God, and ultimately, you begin to grow and form into His image and His likeness as you worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, this is a great mystery, and I'm not going to pretend to fully understand or have all of the answers to this dynamic, as I don't think anybody can or does. But this is what the Bible teaches us about the resurrection. This is what the Bible teaches us about Jesus. And this is my main point. Back to you. Yes, you were forgiven of your sins. But it's not to detach from the world and hide away from all the scary darkness and temptations that you see all around you. Many churches have failed at their missions because they've tried to hide away from what they call secularness and and, and sins and all these things that they see within the world so they detach from it. But that's not the whole point. That's not the reason why you were saved. God desires for you to grow into a healthy, disciplined, and functional human, which is the imagers of God, who will reflect his image into this world and steward or order this world with the wisdom we gain through our worship. Like Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory as we behold him, as we gaze into his goodness, as we look up to our creator and worship him, we're being transformed into his image. Now, first off, that's an amazing miracle. I hope you never get used to that in your own life. I hope you never lose the awe and wonder of the fact that because of the blood of Jesus, your body, your life is a place where heaven unites with earth. God's presence now dwells through you, in you, and amongst you. You are the new temple of God. I hope that doesn't bore you. I hope that you're not sitting here saying, oh, I've heard that before. That's a miracle. That is an amazing feat that was accomplished at the cross. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 to 22 says that your life is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So you can look at yourself as a new temple. But I think it's more accurate to say that you are now truly human. Even though at the resurrection, the return of the Lord, you will become fully human in a body like Jesus. But you are you are the new creation now. And you are as you worship God, you are becoming more and more like him. So knowing that God's presence lives in you and you're becoming more and more like him as you worship him, then looking at this world you are living in and all of the chaos that you see all around you, should we shrink back? Should we hide away? Should we detach and not let anybody see the light that is shining through you? No, as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, we don't shrink back, but we endure, we push through, we move forward in the calling, we move forward in our purpose. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
Does this sound like Paul was talking to a church that he was encouraging to, to hold tight and wait? The Lord is coming back to take you anyway? No, absolutely not. He is fully activating the church. He is fully encouraging the church to get involved in their communities, get involved in the workplaces, go out into this world and reflect the culture and goodness of God into this world, knowing that in some way their work will somehow be transferred into eternity. It will somehow be transferred into the new heavens and new earth. God is restoring the earth. In fact, he is restoring all of creation back to him. That's what happened at the cross. That's what salvation looks like. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And here's the mystery. Go ahead to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Jesus is bringing unity to all things in heaven and earth. He is uniting everything back together. He's bringing his good creation back into order. And guess what? He's doing it through us. This is why Paul was encouraging the church to endure through suffering because there was a greater purpose through it. A greater work was being accomplished. In Romans 8, verse 18 through 21, Paul wrote, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom when the children of God are revealed. Come on. Creation itself is waiting for you. Creation itself is waiting for us to get back to doing what we were created to do. Worship God and steward this world with his with his wisdom and justice. We don't just say uh we don't just say this to say it. These are facts that the Bible teaches us. Jesus was enthroned as the king of the universe at the cross. Colossians 2 verse 13 says, every high thing that exalted it. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Colossians 3 said, when you were dead in, in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood down against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle, a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. That's what the Bible says. Every high thing that exalted itself above God was torn down. Every false god or idol that we handed power over to was disarmed and made to be a spectacle. These powers, these false gods, these idols that we worshiped and elevated above God have been torn down. They've been disabled. That's what Jesus did at the cross. Come on, someone needs to get excited and start celebrating what God accomplished at the cross. We need to start having Jesus parties because if there's anything that deserves to be celebrated and remembered, it's this. Jesus became the king of the universe. He saw the enemy. He saw the mission. And he was laser focused on disarming the dark powers of the world and rescuing his people from their slavery. He did this through serving. He did this through suffering. And ultimately, he 
he did this by laying down his own life at the cross. That's what happened at Calvary. That's what happened at the cross. Paul talks about it in Philippians 2, uh, verse 8, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him into the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Now Jesus is sitting on the throne as the king of the universe and he is ruling and establishing his kingdom through us. And here's the fact. When you look at the cross through this perspective, you should see this in a way you may have never seen it before. Jesus was enthroned as king. He's establishing his kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven. And isn't that what he told us to pray? When the disciples came and asked Jesus how to pray, Jesus didn't teach them these long, elaborate, and super spiritual prayers that we often hear. And that Jesus ridiculed the Pharisees for being like. No, he actually told them to pray. And we read this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. He answers the disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer, our focus, our life should be spent praying to and worshiping God so that we can steward this world with his wisdom, love, and justice and establish his kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven. If Jesus was wanting us to wait for him to come and settle it all out and stay away from the dark world in the meantime, he wouldn't have taught us to pray this. He wouldn't have told us in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 to, that all authority in heaven and earth was given to him. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, reminding them that surely he would be with them to the very end of the age. In this scripture, Jesus is telling them three very key facts they needed to understand. One, all authority in heaven and earth was now his. He is the king of the universe. Number two, he is giving that authority to his disciples. And eventually he's giving that authority to us to go out into the world and establish his kingdom and raise up disciples by teaching them the word of God so that they too can get involved in this kingdom project. Third thing he's telling them is Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to lead them, guide them, and empower them for the mission. Surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age, he said. This is what it looked like for Jesus' kingdom to be established on earth as in heaven. God always desired and intended to work through humans. That's our original role in Genesis 1 and 2, and that is the role he restored in all of his people. That's how Jesus was coming back to be king. That's how he was establishing his kingdom through us. The disciples didn't understand this until they received the Holy Spirit. Even after the resurrection and Jesus appeared to them, they still were expecting or looking for Jesus to defeat these pagan empires that were ruling and oppressing their people. In fact, right before Jesus ascended into heaven, they asked him about when he was planning on restoring Israel. And this is what Jesus said. They gathered around him, this is what scripture says, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom 
of Israel, kingdom to Israel. He's resurrected. They're thinking, okay, fine. He's resurrected from the dead. He's going to do what he's supposed to do. He's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. He's going to restore his kingdom in this world. And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's not an accident that immediately following the question of when he was going to restore his kingdom, that he deferred it back to them. He was telling them, don't worry about times. Don't sit around waiting for me to do this. You guys now have a job to do. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be empowered for this mission. You'll be empowered for the role. You'll be sent out into the world to usher in his kingdom. Are we like the disciples were at that moment? Are we sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back and establish his kingdom? Well, if we are, then Jesus' response to you would be the same as his response was to the disciples then. It's not up to you to worry about the time. It's up to you to do your job. You have a role in this. We have a role in this kingdom project. It's time for the modern church to stop sitting around waiting for God to bring change to this world while we gather once or twice in a building separated from the world, separated from the darkness. We recognize that Jesus is the king in the church. That's easy for us to do, but how well do we recognize that he is king in the world? When's the last time you looked at someone who is plagued or burdened by the power of sin and recognized that Jesus is king in that situation and that you can tell them the good news and you could tell them that Jesus made a way for them to be rescued and free from what is weighing them down. When was the last time you looked at an impoverished neighborhood and community and spoke the words to that situation that Jesus is king? He is king over this community. He broke the powers of the darkness ruling through these communities. And it's up to you to establish his kingdom by bringing about change, by stewarding that community with God's love and justice. Come on, do we believe what the Bible teaches us? Do we believe what we read in the New Testament? Do we believe that Jesus broke the power of sin and death at the cross and that we carry that authority that he gained at the cross? And every day we come across darkness, we come across poverty, we come across sickness and cancer. Are we using the authority? Are we claiming that Jesus is king in that situation? Situation, or are we detached from the world, sit back in a corner, and we're waiting for God to rescue us from this world? Because if that's the case, we have it all wrong. God wants his church to be activated. God wants his children to be activated. God wants his sons and daughters to carry the authority that he has given them and go out and bring light into the darkness. We are meant to go out into the world and bring the light of God's presence and the power of the good news. That at last, Jesus has taken his rightful place the good news as king of the universe and he is summing everything in the universe together under him you were not forgiven of your sins so that you could go to heaven you were forgiven of your sins so that you could be rescued from the disabling power of sin and through your life god would rescue and save his good creation you were saved so that this world could be saved god's plan has always been to use us in this great rescue operation In the revelation of John, 
We see a shocking and surprising image of what the future looks like in this kingdom when heaven and earth are fully united together. Revelation 21 verse 1 through 7, John says that he saw a new heaven and new earth. And for the first heaven and the first earth that's passed away and there was no longer any sea, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. Further into this revelation, John makes an observation about the fact that there wasn't a temple in the city. He said, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of their nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter into it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the kingdom. It's a powerful imagery right there. That's the kingdom that Jesus came to establish on earth as it is in heaven. This is how we are going to change this world. When we stop looking at heaven and earth as being two distant locations that are not related to each other at all and start looking at heaven and earth as two different realms that occupy the same space as each other and when united God's presence and kingdom can rule and reign the way God has designed this space that we live in. When we read about Jesus walking through the earth and healing people from sickness and raising people, dead people to life, he wasn't performing magic tricks. He was establishing his kingdom and he was showing his disciples that this is what it looks like when I'm on the throne. Jesus was saying, this is what it looks like when I am king. Death leaves, darkness flees, demons tremble, and fall to the ground in submission. Every knee bows, every tongue confesses, everything that is contrary to God's good creation is brought into submission when Jesus is king. And the world will flourish and spring to life because the giver of life and love has taken his rightful place at the throne. This is what Jesus' kingdom looks like. Every tear is wiped away from our face. Every memory of trauma is cleared from our hearts and minds. Unity, peace, and justice is established on this earth. And as humans worship God, they are reflecting his goodness and glory into this world, bringing the wise order, love, and justice that is needed for this world to thrive and operate in unity. This is the good news. This is the gospel message. This is the mission. Jesus is king of the universe, and if this is true, then everything in your life is affected by it. Because you have a mission, you have a role, 
and by the blood of Jesus, you have access to his presence. And in his presence, you find healing. In his presence, you find wholeness. But you can't stay in your dysfunction. You can't stay in your sickness. He is raising you up. He has released you from the power of the grave. And you are free to live and function the way he designed you to. And it's as you worship him, chains are being snatched away. Lies are being replaced with truth over your life. Hallelujah. As you worship and gaze into the goodness of your heavenly father, you are gradually being made in his likeness. You're being conformed into his image and you are becoming the wise, humble, and loving stewards of this world that this world so desperately needs. The world's waiting. Broken people are waiting. All of creation is on tiptoe just waiting for the sons and daughters of God to walk into their purpose and bring about order and establish a kingdom of God through the power and leadership of the Holy Spirit. So will you get in the game? Will you engage in prayer and worship and allow God's presence and spirit to activate gifts and dreams within you so that you can be a steward of this world, so that you can bring the change that the church has been praying for? Will you be brave enough? Will you be bold enough to dream, to create, to gather people together and strategically implement God's justice and love into this world where it's needed most? I pray you will. And I believe you will. And in the meantime, I'm praying for you. And I believe God is speaking to you. Even right now, he is speaking to you. And he will reveal and show you how you can pray, how you can dream, and how you can reach out into this broken world and bring the hope and bring the light that you carry with you. And by doing that, through your worship, through your worship, prayer, and service, everyone around you will know that Jesus truly is the king of the universe. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. Make sure to share this episode with your friends and also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at mcarrollnow. Have a great day. Until next time.